Here we go. My name is Todd. And this is Gabby. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 540. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's, of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Uh, on today's show, what's the theme? Oh, no. What's the theme, sweetie? It's a nice little sound. Today we're going to talk about grief. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, hold on, I got I got something for that. Okay. Oh no, not no, that one. No. 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 That's that's grief. That's expression of sadness, right there. Um, I guess. Yeah, right. But I want to talk about it in a more serious tone. If oh, that's okay. Well, can we also be light? Uh, we can, and okay, that's part good. of it. But what I want to talk about is the. Um, that it's not really about just crying. Uh-huh. It's about what we are feeling right now. Um, and, and I got this because my sister posted an article today from the uh, Harvard Business Review. And it's from maybe a day or two ago, but she posted it today. And it was really, really well written. Um, and basically, it was about that what we are feeling collectively right now is grief. Mm-hmm. And we have to name that to understand it. You know, just like we always say with emotions, like people who are talking to kids about emotions, there's this phrase that we say, you got to name it to tame it. Sure. It's very similar in that how, you know, are you understanding and using that word to better um, move through this experience we're having in this pandemic? Because we are, for those of you who are going to listen to this podcast, maybe in the future, um, it is... We're a few weeks into the coronavirus. It's March, the week, the week of March 25th. What, 25th and 2020. Mm-hmm. So we are all, uh, at least in Illinois, we are a shelter in home. And we are, many states are, um, everybody's asking to social, you know, to, to be socially distanced. Um, and we are hopefully, I actually just read something today, Todd, that Chicago is actually getting a really good grade on their social distancing. We're doing great. Um, that's, I mean, there are plenty of people who need to do a little work, even in our own town. I'm seeing a lot of people really close together in the parks. Um, but for the most part, overall, because I think of our governor's choices, we're doing a pretty good job. Chicago, good Chicago, job, Chicago. Yep. But not everybody. It's sweetie. a toddle in town. It, he should be saying, but Chicago, not everybody. Chicago. We're doing a pretty good job. So. Let's talk about this. Um, first of all, Should we the- talk about our two things or no? The pop sure, culturing. Please, 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 please. So we do this other podcast called Pop Culturing. Been a little busy lately with that one. Yeah, because we- we've been watching so many movies. Avengers. Uh, we did Parental Guidance. Uh-huh. We might do tomorrow a Netflix series called The Stranger. Yes. We just finished that up, eight episodes. So that's the one thing. And then we also do this thing called Team Zen, which if you're new to the podcast, uh, Kathy and I get on a live Q&A slash support slash community. Well, it's a virtual community that we started a couple of years ago. So we already have it established. There's 100 plus people. And basically, you just join us for these discussions. You can ask questions. You don't have to. You can just listen. If you can't make the discussions, we email you a podcast of the discussion. So it's like an extra podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Todd and I agree that we're so thankful that it was already established sure. because it gave us kind of a sense of, okay, let's support, 
let's spend a lot of time with this community. For sure. And we've been doing that. We've done, uh, we did one yesterday. We're doing another one on Friday. We usually only do two a month, but you know, these times call desperate times, desperate measures. Yeah. More community. So uh, we charge 25 bucks a month, but you could try it for free if you use the coupon code FRIEND. Uh, and any Team Zen members who are struggling or scared about their finances, just let me know and I'll refund this month's uh, payment for you. Um, this is not a moneymaker thing. Uh, you know, the Times uh, requires us to be as empathic and helpful and, and supportive mm-hmm. as anybody we can. So anyways, check it out. It's all on our webpage, ZenParentingRadio.com. Yeah, go to ZenParentingRadio.com and then Team Zen is actually like you just click right on it. Okay. So this the reason I love this article is that the person who's being interviewed, Todd, is this guy named David Kessler. And he is like a, a like a grief expert. Mm. And he co-wrote a book with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, which you may know her because she... She rings a bell. I don't know why. Who's she? She wrote the original book about Gr- grief. Oh, the stages? Exactly. She's the stages lady. Exactly. And basically, he wrote a book with her that continues those stages. And he also... They incorporated meaning as one of the stages. Meaning. Meaning. Yeah. Oh, that's new. Well, and that's the thing is I love it because basically it means that, you know, we go through these different things, you know, denial and anger and bargaining and sadness and, you know, acceptance. And then at the end of that is meaning. Mm. And we can't, and we can't jump there immediately. But the thing that a lot of people don't understand about grief is that it isn't a linear pattern. Mm-hmm that we jump around, you know what I mean? Like one day we'll be like, I was actually talking to my girlfriends last night virtually. And we were talking about how, you know, in the beginning of this pandemic, we were like taking this, maybe initially we were like, Oh, it won't really hurt that many people or I'm safe or whatever it may be. And then we took it super seriously. And then all of a sudden you kind of back up again and say, is this really a big deal? Like there's all this like moving in and out of stages and meaning tends to be the last one. Um, even though we may find meaning even today, even though we're still at the the beginning stages of this, we find some meaning in this experience that we're having. Like, wow, I'm feeling like I'm spending more time with my kids, or it's interesting how I'm taking a walk every day, or it's interesting how I'm viewing the world differently. You can find meaning in the moment. Yeah. Um, it's funny because the way I like to think, not specifically with grief, but just with all emotions, there is wisdom. I think of wisdom and maybe you can replace it with meaning. Like after you have all these expressions of emotion, there should be some learning or wisdom or meaning that you can uh, find as a result of this experience. Is that, is that kind of where we are? Absolutely. And the, the risk is always, and why we need to talk it through and not be so linear about it is that you don't want to do what we call, and you and I were just talking about this last week, spiritual bypassing, where we basically jump over all these feelings that are, you know, all these challenging feelings in an effort to get to the meaning and say, okay, I don't really need to deal with these feelings Mm -hmm. anymore. Um, Because that's a, let me put it this way. The only way out of this is through it. Yes. We don't get to say, I'm going to jump over all of these feelings and all of these stages and just pretend it was all perfect and meant to be. And just that is, you can call that spiritual bypassing. You can call that denial where you're still in the denial stage. It reminds me of uh, our favorite uh, Franciscan monk. What's his name? Uh, Roar, Richard Roar. Richard Roar. 
order, disorder, reorder. Absolutely. And I sometimes jump over the disorder and say, okay, what do I learn from this? Let's, and I forget to accept and feel the disorder. Yeah. And that, and I think that's common. And some people try to kind of cloak that in look how optimistic I am. And while it's true, this is why it gets really paradoxical and gray, because it can be very optimistic to be like, I know we're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. That can be true. And at the very same time, in this moment, you have to be willing to sit in the uncertainty of the moment and recognize that this is a challenging time, that both can be true at the same time, and that you know, instead of saying, I'm just going to live in the place of always just thinking it's going to be fine, you get to right. kind of, you get to vacillate back and forth. So I wanted to go through the stages of grief one more time, okay. even though, again, they're not, they're not always in this order. Um, denial, you know, trying to avoid what's happening. This won't be that bad. Um, anger, this shouldn't be happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, bargaining, um, finding a way out. Mm-hmm. That's us trying to go take all the toilet paper. Um Depression, you know, the realization that this is happening or sadness. You can use the word sadness there. Um, And then some people put in, I'm not going to even say that because some people have seven stages of grief, but I'm going to be really basic here. And then finally, acceptance, um, you know, finding a way forward. And I think that's what I want this show up to be about. Not that we have to live in acceptance because I expect all of us to go through all of these different stages at different times um, continually throughout our life. But I I think that this what we want to talk about here is when we start to accept, even if it's just for the day, then we can be creative in our thinking. Then we can deal with our kids from a place of um, present moment sure. instead of fear. So um, the thing that David Kessler says in this article that's so interesting is he talks about that we're feeling a lot of different griefs at once, um, meaning that, you know, think of all the things there are to grieve, Todd, like on our on our Zen talk the other day with Team Zen, I, you know, I get choked up even saying it, you know, the hospital system, the people who have to go to the grocery store, the fact that there's no masks, um, the fact that people are dying, the fact that we're worried about our families. The fact that we're worried about our businesses and our jobs and our financial stability, like the grieving, there's so many different. Mm. And it's not usually like that. And some of it is super fit, not superficial, but shallower. Like, oh, I can't watch baseball today. There's, right. there's grief there. Sure. And then there's people dying and there's all these subtle levels in between. I can't watch baseball and people's lives are being lost. Correct. And so think we're like calibrating between all of these things and feeling them at different times, it feels like, and I like the way David Kessler says, we're dealing with so many different kinds of griefs. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like we have to hold space for so many different things at once. But the one that he really focuses on in this article is anticipatory grief. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's that feeling that we get when we're not sure about the future, when things are uncertain. And that's been for me, that's the one that really kind of kicks me in the butt mm. um, because I, never in my life, well, I'm sure at some points in my life, especially when I was a teenager, I probably had certainty but um, or believed I did. I, I think the, the lack of normal and the not knowing every day what 
the day is going to look like or what the news is going to say sure. um, is really unsettling. Uh, and that kind of, you know, that's what wakes me up in the middle of the night. And that's what, unfortunately, I have to kind of address every morning is, okay, what's happening now? Sure. Um, because we do have to pay attention, not all day long with the TV on, but we have to pay attention just to make sure we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Sure. Right? There yeah. is a sense of community mm -hmm. in that. Um, so, you know what I, what I think though, Todd, is I think there are people who are a little more used to this type of grief, this anticipatory grief, like people who have dealt with a, a an ongoing, like a chronic illness. I was talking to my sister last night yeah. and one of her clients, uh, is from Syria yeah, and she comes from a war torn. Yeah. And the woman is like, uh... Why is everybody so upset? Yes. You have food in the fridge. Yes. You have water coming out of a faucet if you lift the handle. Yes. You have a bathroom. Yes. She's like, what is the big deal here? Correct. So I guess that's a pretty significant perspective shift. And and she she's a really good, like, she's one of the people when you're looking at a continuum who has had to experience something that none of us have ever had to really understand right. because we've lived in this country. And But she's looking at it, look at everything you have that people in my country still don't have access to and they're getting bombed every mm -hmm. day. Um, and then, you know, so that's one end of the continuum. And then in the middle of that is, you know, like I said, people who have dealt with a chronic illness, um, people who have dealt with, you know, death in their family sure. or a chronic illness of a family member, um, people who have are going through a divorce um, or who have lived with a ton of job uncertainty or um, basically my point is, is that there are certain people who have always dealt with this uncertainty sure. and this is their day-to-day -day living yeah. experiences. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. Mm -hmm. Well, I was going to say, and I don't know if this makes sense, but like any doctor like that is that deals with brain cancer or heart attacks or you know pediatricians you know intensive care for um kids like they're used to bad things happening correct, a lot correct. and i don't know if that quite relates to what you're saying it does a little bit but i think even our medical professionals are quite uncertain right now i sure. don't i think maybe they have a little more of a resiliency and a backbone for it mm -hmm. because they've been trained to, but then they're also being asked to do things they've never done before. Exactly. So I think that even though I wouldn't put us equal mm -hmm. with it, there's, this is interesting for most of us in this country, not all, but again, we're all going through this anticipatory grief at the same time. Mm -hmm. So then we are all experiencing it from each other. Sure. You know what I mean? And like you said, for, you know, you called it shallow, but and I know exactly what you mean. I don't think you're wrong for using that word. But I think with our teenagers or our kids, what we have to remember is their sadness about having to stop their sports season or not going to sure. prom. That is their life. Sure. And so we may say that's not a big deal, but it is. It is. Because that is their life. And my, you know, I was talking to one of my girlfriend's daughters last night and she had to, you know, come back from college. She goes to University of Michigan and she, and she said leaving her sorority house was like, in, there was so much grief, so much crying because you only can live in your sophomore year. Mm -hmm. She had to say goodbye to all the seniors. Sure. Everything's over. Totally. They don't know when they're going back. And she is devastated. And so we can't, one thing while we're all experiencing this grief is we should not be comparing. Mm -hmm. Like we have to show up for our kids 
you know, like for our little ones who miss their teacher. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, no, you can see her on the screen. That's not the same as getting the hugs I used to get. Yeah. Or the, you know, the little ones who are missing their tumbling experiences or their dance classes. Like this is... Well, we should never be comparing, never. but especially right now. Correct. Because, you know, I remember my college years. Like that's the one that I kind of connect with, the story yeah. you just told. Like you get four years of this, and if your experience is as fun as mine was, like every year was very sacred and special in such different ways. Like freshman year is dorms, sophomore, junior year was the fraternity house, senior year was an apartment. Like, and I had different roommates for each one, and they were all like sacred in their own way and special. And to get the carpet pulled out from underneath you, right? You know, right after spring break or right as spring break is starting, right. like that's the funnest part of the year. Maybe not even be able being able to go on spring break. Yeah, and you know, so you get that taken away too. And the thing is, is what you have to remember for a lot of kids in college, and this is true for kids in high school too. Their friends are their family. Yeah. So, like I, you know. Obviously, you know, I had my family, my parents and my sister, my aunt and everything. But when I was in college, I lived with these girls. Yeah. They were my family. Yeah. And if I got pulled away from them or, you know, if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a partner and you get pulled away from them and you're like, you're quarantined, you mm -hmm. can't see each other. And in high school, like I'm hearing all these stories from my daughter about, you know, relationships that, you know, people, you know, partners that have been together for a year or six months or whatever, and they can't see each other. Yeah. And that is hard. It doesn't mean that we need to bend rules or break rules. It means we just need to understand it. Well, and you need to put your empathy muscle on steroids. Big time. Like you got to put on your kids' glasses, which you really don't have the ability to do, let's be honest. But you got to do your best to know that this is a bigger deal to that. Like, you know... It just feels weird because my life hasn't really changed that all that much. I mean, we've missed a few things, but I can't imagine what it's like for our kids because most of the people that listen to this podcast have kids anywhere between, you know, zero and 18. And each, you know, every year is a big deal. And if you're seven or 17, it doesn't matter. Exactly. And the, you know, and our lives has have changed a lot, Todd. It's just relatively speaking. Relatively speaking, it hasn't because, you know, I think of, you know, you, we can go down a rabbit hole with this, but you know, the nurse that has to work right. twice as much, like I'm still doing my job. And they, and they have to come home and live in the garage. Yeah, Just, you're right. right. You're right. I, I agree with that. So it's interesting because, um, you know, as far as empathy goes for our children or for our neighbor or for our parents or whatever it may be, uh, Teresa Wiseman came up with, she was a, she's a nurse scholar and she came up with four for like attributes of the best kind of empathy okay. or what empathy truly is not the best kind but like the essence of empathy and the first one is perspective taking see their world yeah. put on the glasses of the person you're talking to and quit telling them how they should feel like you because this is how you experiencing it you know you experience it you have to put on their glasses and listen next non-judgmental mm -hmm. just don't judge it don't give them a lecture or make them feel ashamed of, of what they're saying. Just listen and then understand their feelings. This one, you have to understand your own feelings to understand their feelings. Yeah. But when they say they're sad or scared or angry, just understand that feeling. And then finally communicating that understanding, saying if you say things like, um, well, at least, you know, you have running water. Well, you know, at least you got to have your sophomore year. At least it, those kind of things are not communicating understanding. That's saying, 
I want to put, it's funny, uh, Brene Brown has this pretty famous little um, like visual explanation of empathy versus sympathy. Sure. And, you know, the person keeps saying, she calls it, uh, people keep trying to silver linings it. Mm -hmm. Like as soon as somebody tells you how they feel, someone says, well, here's the silver lining. Mm -hmm. So you don't feel heard. Yeah. So really what communicating understanding is, is saying, wow, that sounds tough. Or, oh my gosh, that sucks. Or, wow, thank you for sharing. It's just sitting in it and not correcting it or judging it or trying to... Honestly, this is a practice because, man, I can't tell you how many times I just try and share my own stories. I mean, and, and I really have to watch that yeah. with the girls because I everything they say, I feel connected to. So I'm like, well, when I was a kid in mm-hmm. the 80s, it is not the same. Right. It is not the same. So um, so the next thing that I wanted to say about um, understanding anticipatory grief is that it's confusing and it is like... I love the way this is what David Kessler says. He says, our primitive mind knows something bad is happening, but we can't see it. Mm. And this breaks our sense of safety. And we're feeling that loss of safety. Um, And he says, I don't think we've collectively lost our sense of general safety, but individuals or smaller groups have. And and we're feeling this. But all of us together, this is new. We are grieving on a micro and a macro level. So we're grieving our own loss and we're grieving the collective. Exactly. Like I can sit in the day and kind of handle what we're having to grieve or the fear that we have or the anxiety that we have. And Mm -hmm. I can be like, okay, I can manage that. As soon as I start reading articles, and I mean factual articles, not crap, like, you know, reading the New York Times or the uh, Wall Street Journal or um, listening to Dr. Fauci, you know, like people who I really trust. Then I have to, you have to like take that in of the heaviness or seeing the pictures from Italy. And that is, so even when we're managing our own, which is not always, um, we still have to deal with that. Well, I think it's um, a balance. I think sometimes you feel too much and sometimes I don't feel enough. Yeah. I feel like my, whether it's um, cultural or the way I was hardwired when I showed up in this world, I have a... What I don't I don't consider it a strength. I have a characteristic where I can basically shut off some things. Compartmentalize. Compartmentalize. Like, yes, that's happening in the world. I understand it, but I'm not going to allow it to deeply impact me. Yeah. That 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 could be looked viewed as a strength or a weakness. It's a strength because I could still function. I can still go on. That's good. But it's a weakness because if I can't take any of that in, then. I'm much. I'm less likely to act in a positive way. Right. Whereas I think you, or not you, let's say somebody gets paralyzed by watching the news. Yes. And doesn't go outside. Yeah. Because of that, that the pendulum needs to swing a little bit. Like you need a little bit of compartmentalization on that. Because their fear is causing them to freeze, yes. and they're like at the mercy of their amygdala, yeah. and they can't see out of it. And you know, and I think that we're enough healed from our argument the other day that I can bring this up. But sure. this is—it's a perfect example of the two of us. So, I've been reading for the last three weeks or month about this impending situation, and I've been taking a lot of initiative to do things. And and Todd hasn't been disrespectful to me or he hasn't been brushing me off, but he's been kind of like, yeah, 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 yeah. 
You've been so, about a week ahead of me in every decision regarding this coronavirus. Right. So we've been kind of holding that line and sure. kind of walking through it in that way. And then the other day um, when we were out, uh, Todd, we were at the grocery store and we're doing the best we can to social distance. But then Todd runs into somebody he knows and they are not six feet apart. Mm -hmm. And so I walk up to both of them and say, you guys are not social distancing. And, you know, they're like, uh-huh, yeah. And then they kept talking. And then when he walked back to me, I said, you're not doing what they're asking us to do. And we got kind of in an argument about it because Todd's like, it's fine. Like I couldn't, I didn't shake his hand. I didn't touch him. And I'm like, but that's not enough. And, and so what we decided after we argued for a while is number one, what I definitely owned was that I'm just on edge. Mm -hmm. So things are going to bug me. Yeah. And I feel like if you're not doing what you're supposed to it's be a thorn. doing. I touched a thorn. You did. Like, I'm like, you are not listening to me. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, that is its own issue. Um, but what we figured out after we kind of talked it through was that it's somewhere in the middle that I shouldn't be. You know, I need to be a little more sensitive to what the CDC and right. my wife is saying. Right. Uh oh, the flies back. I know. I noticed that. And, um, and maybe the pendulum needs to come, you know, is there a difference between five foot, six inches and six feet? Right. You know, it's that thing. And that's kind of where we kept arguing is all these detaily points when really we just both wanted to win. And I will say that as a white straight man, I'm used to not being told what to do. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, there is much as evolved as I want to think I am. There's still a piece of me in there. Well, like, you get don't triggered. tell me what to do. Right. You get triggered by right, it. Right. For sure. Right. Because there's something in it that you inherently, you think I'm disrespecting your sense of self yeah. when really I'm trying to say, I'm reading all this stuff. Please just, there's such simple rules to mm -hmm. abide by. I don't mean they're easy to abide by. They're simple rules. Mm -hmm. These are the two different things, you know? Um, but you know, so anyway, that's the challenge. So Todd, this is, he does a nice job, David Kessler, in this article, kind of giving us exactly how we're feeling in terms of all the stages. Sure. So listen to this. He says, so he's talking about the stages again, like we were saying before, not being linear and that we go through a lot, you know, all the different stages of grief. He says it starts with denial and a lot, and we say a lot early on, this virus won't affect us. Mm -hmm. We don't need to worry. That's, I was there for a long time. I know. That's then there's anger. You're making me stay at home and you're taking away all of my activities anger, right? Yep. Then there's bargaining. Okay, if I so social distance for two weeks, everything will be better. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like I was talking to my oldest daughter and she was like, oh yeah, I can do this for two weeks. And I'm like, mm. Might be more than that. I know. And she's she's been great. I, yeah. I mean, it's been hard for them and she's been good at, you know, reading and listening. And then there's sadness, which is, I don't know when this will end. Yeah. And then finally there's acceptance. And this is, this is kind of the sentence that I'm going to put up on my mirror. This is happening mm -hmm. and I have to figure out how to proceed. Yeah. Acceptance is where our power lies and we can find some control and acceptance. You know, like I can wash my hands. I can keep a safe distance. I can learn how to work virtually. And, and, you know, last night I was talking to my girlfriends from college virtually, which was lovely. And they all are in these different lines of work. Like two of them work in a hospital and one of them, you know, she's basically in charge of the downtown, you know, Iowa city. And one of the things she said was you got to start buying gift cards yeah. from restaurants and stuff. You have to like make sure these businesses stay open. And, and my friends who work in the hospital were kind of talking about how, you know, what the different spike levels and surges are and what's being told to them. It's, and then I have another girlfriend who is on the call who works in pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. So she had all this information. So it's like when we're 
talking to experts or people who know, like to kind of follow those things to say, okay, I am, you know, I said to Todd this morning, let's eat out tonight because mm-hmm. we've been cooking in, mm-hmm. which is great. That's sure. not a problem, but let's make sure we start supporting our restaurants. Yeah. And it's balanced because obviously we have some money in savings so we can go ahead and do that. Right, right. But if we did that every night and every lunch for the next four weeks, then all of a sudden that's putting our own ability to take care of ourselves at risk. So it's it's the balance in between those two ideas. Absolutely. Like, you, you know, we can't say, okay, every night from now on and every lunch we're going to eat out because then we're not considering the, the financial implications. It's kind of living in that middle place. And that's that's the uncertainty. That's mm-hmm. the antif- anticipatory grief we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a few more things that, you know, that I wanted to share. And so, then I want to share something uh, after you're done. Okay. And then also, I want you to find something, if you will, um, because I think it's a good way to end. And I'll tell you in a second. But so he says, he finishes by saying unhealthy anticipatory grief is really just anxiety, you know, and our mind starts to show us these negative images of like our parents getting sick, or we see these worst scenarios where nobody has what they need. And that's our minds being protective, almost like what Brene Brown says about trying to dress for her tragedy. Sure. Like, what would we do? What would we do? And the goal is you don't have to ignore those images. Mm-hmm. Like you can allow them to work their way through because your mind won't let you not see them. Yeah. Like that's kind of what our minds do. But the goal is to find the balance in the things that you're thinking. So if the worst images start to kind of come up, um, then think of a best image, Mm -hmm. which is you don't have to create something out of thin air. You can just say, I'm in my chair. Mm -hmm. I'm actually safe right now. Got a glass of water. Yeah. Kids are upstairs. Like you have to balance the the images gone wild Mm -hmm. with the truth Mm -hmm. of the moment, not the truth of tomorrow, because we don't know that. Yeah. And what you're describing is presence and mindfulness and moment to moment. You can't do tomorrow. Exactly. You can't do it. Exactly. And that's kind of what I mean about, I think there's some people who have experienced tragedy in their lives, you know, from the experience, like, you know, we were talking about the woman from Syria to anybody who's had chronic illness or whatever in the middle, death, um, loss, divorce, and they've practiced this. Mm And it doesn't mean they have it down perfectly and that it's a race. It's a muscle that they've, they flex. Yes. We're, we live in a suburb of Chicago and we have food in our fridge and we're just so blessed. And I'm guessing if you're listening to this on a, on a phone or on an iPhone or an Android, you're richer than 97% of the world population. Correct. So we have so much thing to be, so many things to be grateful for in this time of crisis. Exactly. And that, you know, he, I I like how he ends this uh, article because David Kessler, he says, you know, what we really need to stock up on, because everyone's stocking up on stuff, Mm -hmm. is our compassion that everybody we meet is in a different stage of their grief. You might be in an acceptance stage and then you go to the grocery store and the person who's being kind of forced to work is in anger. And that instead of being like, wow, you know, instead we have to accept that we're all at different places Mm -hmm. in our evolving in this. And that, again, that we may go back and forth, um, that we may be frustrated one day and find the next. And, And that's what I've kind of noticed with my kids. You know what I've noticed, Todd, with them is in the morning, they're really good. Mm. And maybe it's because they've had freaking 18 hours of sleep. Yeah. They're sleeping like champs. <laughs> they are. And then at night, they're, they haven't, it hasn't been super bad, but 
there's a little more of they're quicker to be annoyed. They want to kind of be like, <laughs> they're like, yeah, fine. Or I'm just going to go to my room and wash this or, you know, I'll do it in the morning. And, and that's to be expected. I think that's normal human behavior. Um, so the, the last thing that he, in this article that helped me is he says, because this pandemic obviously feels open-ended because we don't know what's going to happen. So he's going to be over on Easter. Yeah, don't even get me started about the politics here. Um, He says, this is a temporary state. And he said it helps to say that. Mm -hmm. Because when you're looking at three weeks, four weeks, September, 18 months until a vaccine, we're like, "Uh, uh, uh, we'll never get through this. But the truth is, it's temporary. And he says, I worked for 10 years in the hospital system. I've been trained my whole life for situations like this. I've also intensely studied the 1918 flu pandemic. The precautions we're taking are the right ones. History tells us that. This is survivable. Survivable. Is that a word? Survivable. We will survive. This is a time to overprotect, but not overreact. Well, said in a very a much more concise way, this too shall pass. It will. It just won't pass. We can't say, you know, like for some things we can be like, oh, you know, in two days I'll be moved out of this house or in two weeks the divorce yeah. will be final. We don't have that with this. Can we embrace the uncertainty? Exactly. Because it will be over, but it might be over in two weeks, two months, two years. Like we don't know. But can you maybe not embrace it, but accept the uncertainty? That's the stage of grief. Except, you know, I love that where he says acceptance is, this is happening. So I have to figure out how to do it. Because suffering is pushing against that it's happening and saying this shouldn't be happening. And we're not in the as isness. We're in the anger stage or the bargaining stage or the sadness stage and we're saying this shouldn't be happening and again that's okay to go through Mm -hmm. i'm vacillating through all of them all the time but it is when we are in those moments of acceptance you know just embracing that so to that end yes i was going to try to read this uh and just have you you know soak it in okay try to surprise you but instead so this is what happened we did a zen talk yesterday yeah and one of our listeners typed out like 60 seconds of what you were saying. And I thought it was really profound. Huh. Did you see this on? No. So, so we had a Zen talk yesterday and I'm just going to read it. It might take me a minute, but I'm going to stop on the way and just talk about sure. it. Okay. So somebody took the time to type out everything that you were saying. Hmm. And I don't even remember at which point this Zen talk happened. I don't know if it was the beginning, the middle or the end, but this is what, okay. this is what you said. She, you said, it seems that an overriding theme for today's call is about how to feel better, do better, have things go better. Oh, I wrote this. Oh, you wrote? I wrote that. Okay. So was this, this was not taken verbatim from no, the Zen talk? I wrote okay. it after the Zen talk. I was going to say, man, you're really, I'm like, that was really <laughs> profound. But it doesn't matter right, if you I said it or you wrote it. it. Right. But it's really, I think, important. Okay. The truth is that these things can't be forced, organized, or storyboarded. Sometimes you just have to surrender what it is, and take a deep breath. And then I I ended up talking a little bit about surrender in the Zen talk. The wisdom of surrender is this. You never had control in the first place. You just thought you did. Resistance to what is is what causes suffering, not the actual circumstances. What if you accepted tears one minute and laughter the next? What if you heard, read horrible news one minute, but but then enjoyed your children's laughter the next? 
If you can learn to flow with it rather than resist, for example, it shouldn't be this way, this shouldn't be happening, I should be doing better, then you will have more energy for now. I know this all sounds really esoteric and difficult, but really it's a practice. The as is right now is that we can't visit our elderly parents. When we accept that, we can be creative with FaceTime, sending pictures and letters, shipping things to their homes. Right now we can't see friends go or go to work. So let's shift our energy towards group chats, short phone conversations, funny text exchanges, and be grateful for email and technology. So in closing, right now our kids can't be in school. So let's shift our focus to allowing them to sleep more, work less, feel their lives more, and even watch too much TV. I love how you you wrote too much TV. Yeah. Like let's let them watch what we consider <laughs> too much TV. Right. This isn't normal, so let's try, stop trying to make it normal. Let's accept and, ta- and tackle what is. Let's allow all the emotions to come and go without believing we are doing it wrong. Let's be more like Carolyn Ingalls from Little House on the Prairie, who's the mom. Yeah, she's my new favorite spirit animal. And just get through. She's my new favorite person who's giving me inspiration right now. I'll probably have a new favorite person in a few days, and that's fine too. Breathe in, breathe out. Um, real quick, so why did you? Why are you channeling Carolyn Ingalls? I don't know. I, I, she kept coming into my mind because you know there's some people who you know on Team Zen and also clients and people in circle who have said things about I feel like I'm just surviving, and I kept thinking about Carolyn Ingalls because she was just surviving. Yeah, She's like for decades, for decades. Like, like she wouldn't know where they're going to kill the next cow or pig to or get if Pa's food. coming home, or especially Little House in the Big Woods, man. Like once they got to. The, the town, oh, right? Everything's fine in the prairie, but the big woods, forget about it. <laughs> they and she was surviving. Do we have candles? Do we have food? Do we have blankets? Can I quilt something? Can I? What if Mary loses her eyesight? Yes, which she, she did. did. Yeah, Bummer, um, man. you know, there's so many, and she just had to do it and survive. And so when we're like, oh, but I feel like I'm surviving, I'm like, yes. So Carolyn Ingalls flexed her muscle of uncertainty on a daily, day, moment to moment basis. Now all of a sudden, we're in this uncertain time, and we're not used to this. No. Our brain is hardwired towards certainty. I know, and it's being put upon us to be uncertain and we don't like it. And the the joke of it is we were never in control. We yeah. thought we were certain, but we weren't. Right. And enough of us even that is an illusion. It's an illusion. Enough of us we've we had such long stretches of stability that we assumed that created certainty. And you know, and, and you have to have gratitude for long stretches of stability. But any of us who are at a certain age, we know that's all a facade because sure. one day you wake up and something and there's a fire, or mm-hmm. one day you wake up and there's a tornado or a hurricane, or one day you wake up and your your partner wants a divorce, or one day you wake up and you're sick. Yeah. And so we never really had it. No, this is just perception. As you were saying before about steroids, this is uncertainty on steroids because everybody's going through this anticipatory grief. Mm-hmm. And so, Todd, the other on that note, what do you want me to pull up? By the way, um, so Castaway. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, Todd and I love that movie, and I'm sure everybody does. And Tom Hanks has been on our minds because he and his wife were. Both diagnosed with coronavirus. It looks like they're now two and a half weeks past, and they're both doing really well. So that's always really nice. Um, and I also, I, uh, Todd and I were talking about this, but I thought this was super interesting. Um, Bill Simmons does this podcast called The Rewatchables, which was where Todd and I came up with that, our podcast, Pop Culturing. That's our inspiration. That was our inspiration. Thank you, Bill. Um, and he did a castaway rewatchable last week by himself. Yeah. 
because he was social distancing, but also kind of on purpose. He's usually with two or three other people yeah. to bounce ideas. And it was just him in a monologue for an hour. And I loved it. It's fascinating. At first, when I started listening, I'm like, oh, this is sad. Yeah. Like, I, this feels so like pandemic-ish, yeah. you know? But then Bill Simmons is good. He's very good. So it was enjoyable. And he, one of the things he mentioned, I think it was on the podcast where he said the thing about um, Tom Hanks. Um, he, you know, obviously Wilson is his volleyball. And so Wilson was his volleyball and his best friend. And then when, and he married Rita Wilson. Mm-hmm. And when he was on Boosom Buddies, I always say that name word wrong. Boos, Boosom? Bosom. Bosom. <laughs> it's not Bosom. Bosom Whatever. Buddies. Bosom Buddies. Of course it is. Okay. Bosom Buddies, his name was Kip Wilson. And he was also in Charlie Wilson's War. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? There's a lot of Wilsons. There's a lot of Wilsons. So anyway, but there's this quote in Castaway. And can't we all kind of identify? Talk about uncertainty. Sure. Talk about a movie that has zero certainty yeah. that he had to live. What's his name again? Chuck? Chuck, yeah. Chuck had to live for four years on this island with complete uncertainty. But there's this great moment this really short monologue that he does when he realizes, when he comes back and Helen Hunt has married Mr. Big Mm -hmm. and he's their dentist. And he realizes they're not going to be together. And he then has this short monologue. Do do you have it pulled up? I, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I was actually on the ringer on the rewatchables. Okay. Uh, So the, so which part? He he says, you know, it's about breathing. Mm -hmm. He says, I'm just going to breathe. He's like, the sun will come up tomorrow. Is it when he's talking to his buddy? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Let me see if I can see find if it. you can find it. And and while you're looking, that's actually been. I probably talked about this on previous podcasts, but that's been probably my saving grace. Is that when I sit and meditate, I can hear the birds. The two two minute and forty one minute monologue. You want to play it? Maybe we can. It, the part I want is probably only ten seconds. Okay. So maybe you can just we'll play it and you can cut it. All right. That's when this feeling came over me like a warm blanket. I knew somehow that I had to stay alive, somehow. I had to keep breathing, even though there was no reason to hope. And all my logic said that I would never see this place again. So that's what I did. I stayed alive. I kept breathing. And then one day that logic was proven all wrong because the tide came in, gave me a sail. And now here I am. talking to you. I have ice in my glass. And I've lost her all over again. I'm so sad that I don't have Kelly. But I'm so grateful that she was with me on that island. And 
And I know what I have to do now. Gotta keep breathing. Because tomorrow the sun will rise. Who knows what the tide could bring. Yeah, you can't leave that whole thing. You can't cut him out. No, leave that whole thing. Uh, How good is that? It's pretty amazing. And is we should it, do we should do a uh, pop culturing on that movie. I know. And you know, one of the things Bill Simmons said about it that Todd and I have commented on over the years is it's strange how it's a rewatchable because it you're seeing so much of his challenge, but what keeps you watching is you see so much success it's and in it for four years it doesn't get him off the island but it keeps him alive and those challenges are what keep us alive sometimes you know that that i you know the whole scene of when he makes fire is like the happiest moment of his entire life and it came through all this pain and struggle before so you know And, and he sings the doors in that scene yeah come on baby light my fire um, so that's what we have to do these things. We have to be Carolyn Ingalls. We have to be Chuck from Castaway. We have to keep breathing. I mean, this is how Todd and I live our lives. We find characters and we kind of emulate them and we in, in, inhale them and remember their energy and their spirit. And even if they're fictional characters, it doesn't matter as long as you get the feeling of what they did. Um, do you want to hear them uh, celebrate the fire? Yeah. Reminds me like of a caveman or something. Totally. It's like primal. And you know, maybe that'll give you guys the inspiration is when you have a day and something goes well, or yeah. you have a good call, or your kid has a good day, or you go on a good walk, that you can celebrate that. Yeah. And that's not for nothing. And you don't have to say, well, yeah, but we're still in the middle of this. Like you can celebrate things in the midst of crisis. And that's kind of what we mean by, you know, starting by saying the only way. The only way, what what did I say, through this? The only way to get over it is through it? The only way is out through. The uh, only way out of it? The only way out is through. Yeah. That was what Is that's that what we're going to title this podcast? Um, I was thinking about titling it, Grief is What You're Feeling. I like the other, the first one. Only way out of it is through it. The only way out is through. Take some of those All words right, out. That's what we're going to do. Um, so, and when you're, when you're going through... You're going to cry, and then you're not going to cry. And then you're going to laugh, and then you're going to be angry. And then you're going to be okay, and then you're going to be tired. And all of that is fine. It's purposeful. Every time you cry, you're creating space for laughter. Every time you laugh, you're creating space for tears. Like, it's all purposeful. And every time you feel hopeful, that's not misguided. No. Some, you know, who knows what the tide is going to bring in? Like, who knows if we'll find a medication? It's not something to hang your hat on and say, oh... Because that's spiritual bypassing. Oh, yeah. we'll get a medication. It'll be fine. Vaccine yeah. will be created tomorrow. You don't, 
It's who knows yeah. what will be offered tomorrow. It's why I read the news. I don't read the news for bad news. Mm-hmm. I, I take in the bad news because that's part of the story. Yeah. But I'm looking for the helpers. I'm looking for the people who are adjusting and adapting and, and how are we doing this? And they're inspiring me and mm-hmm. I'm learning. So thank you for listening to this. Again, the article... Uh, It was in the Harvard Business Review, um, David Kessler, and we'll post it in the show notes. For sure. Uh, All right. I'm going to play our music. Oh, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty. I know you're probably not hiring any contractors now, but maybe you're listening to this after the fact. So he does painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. His uh, website is avidco.net. His phone number is 630-956-1800. Give him a call, uh, and he'll quote you, and he's very good at what he does. So thank you, Jeremy, for that. And here comes our music. Um, I don't know when we're going to do this again. No, uh, just, you know, if you haven't subscribed to Pop Culturing, please do, because we're doing a lot of Pop Culturing episodes with our children. We did the, you know, Parental Guidance and the Avengers and then The Stranger next. And um, just, we'll, we'll do more than usual. Yeah. Let's just say that. There you more go. podcasts than usual. Keep tracking. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Also subscribe and review our Pop Culturing podcast, a Gen X viewpoint on movies and TV with an emphasis on personal growth and self-awareness. It's basically the flip side of Zen Parenting Radio. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out our third podcast, otherwise known as Team Zen. One of our team members described it as an advice column meets group help meets like-minded community. With your $25 subscription, you get two live Zen Talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions, plus a Facebook community where you can interact or just listen to like-minded parents. If you can't join us live, you can still access all the Zen Talks through the Team Zen podcast app. And don't forget about Tribe Men's Group. We have a virtual community from men all over the world. Head on over to tribemensgroup.org or shoot me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give them a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.